From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 228. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, ExpressVPN, and Lunar Display. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by my Atlantic brother, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. I don't know what that means. Hello from the Pacific Ocean, Mike Hurley. <laughs> uh, well, to get to you... I go over the Atlantic, so it's true. You know, that's just how I think of you as my all right, my Atlantic, my over Atlantic brother. Anyway, our hashtag Snell Talk question comes from Edwin this week, and Edwin asks, Jason, do you use hot corners in Mac OS? And if so, what do you assign them to? If not, what other random Mac OS features do you use? For example, stuff like dashboard. Um, you know, John Syracuse uses dashboard. That's I can't the that believe me away that he that. still uses it. It's wild. Uh, I to me. don't. I know, but every time we mention dashboard, somebody appears. At least one person. It's usually more people. You don't need to do this this time, by the way. We yeah, know. I we've know. Heard. People I, use I, dashboard. I'm very people confident use it. that you have good reasons for it and have good uses for it. But it still baffles yeah. me that they can't be anything I, to replace it. it. What baffles me is not that people use it; it's that Apple allows them to continue using it. <laughs> it's very nice of Apple <laughs> to do that because it was like a very classic Apple move. Would be like, yeah, it's gone. Forget it. <laughs> Just like, but instead they're like, whatever. Who's it hurting? It just is there. It's yep. fine. Um, it's HTML basically, so that's supported by WebKit, and who cares? Um, I don't. I don't know what random macOS features I use. I can mention a few. I don't use hot corners. Okay. I used to use hot corners um, when I worked in an office. I think for a while at least, I used hot corners to auto lock my screen. Right. Um, but after a while, I actually set up a uh, in a little Apple script that I could launch with LaunchBar that um, locked my screen. So when I would go away from my screen, I would just type command space lock return and walk away. Um, and that was easier for me than, than the hot corners. So I don't use hot corners. I don't use dashboard. Sorry, dashboard fans. Um, random macOS features. I use, so I use um, sort of random. I use services. A lot with Automator and Apple Script. I use services, which uh, are kind of random. Although a- Apple just changed their name to Quick Actions and gave them logos and put them on the Touch Bar. So uh, in Mojave, they they got a little brush up, which means they're slightly less random than they were before. I use those all the time. We were talking before we started recording about how um, there are all these things that are like, oh, you can do this terminal command that is really convenient f- to process a-, a file for a podcast. And I think to myself, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to launch the terminal every time I want to process a file. And so I wrote a little automator thing with a script in it that basically runs that terminal command uh, when I select a file and ch- and choose the services submenu, you know, right-click on it, choose the services submenu, and, uh, and then it kind of goes off. So I use that. And then the only other thing that seems kind of random that I use is um, I have my dock on the right, which, you know, mm. Apple wants everybody to have the dock on the bottom, but they do let you put the dock on the right. I used to pin the dock to the top as well, so it was top right, but uh, you can't do that anymore. So it's it's on the right side. So that's kind of random. I'm on the left side. I'm dock on the left side. That's It's the driving side. We, we sure. You know, in the UK, you dock on the left. In the US, you dock on the right. It makes sense. I, I do use a hot corner, the top right hot corner. When <gasps> I drag my mouse up to the top right-hand corner, it turns on the screensaver on my iMac. The only way a screensaver is turned on on my iMac is, is by so, that. You know, I have my cursor movement cranked up so high, uh, and I, I one of the things that I've always done ever since I used a physical trackball as my pointing device is have kind of like very large gestures to move my mouse around my screen. And one of the side 
effects of that is that you're you fling your cursor into the corner a lot and so i did a lot of accidental triggers and i don't like that do you have it turned up high sensitivity or low sensitivity to move your to move your cursor then which one do you mean I think it's high, high sensitivity. So you only move your finger a little bit and it's flying all over the screen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're like, you know, probably, I assume, keeping your finger mostly in the same place in like the middle of the trackpad or whatever. In the middle of the trackpad, around. right. But if I want to, if on this 27 inch screen, especially if I want to get somewhere, you know, I'll fling, I, I do this, I do a grand gesture. I always figured that this was one reason that I didn't have RSI issues with my pointing device was like when I use the trackball, especially because that had a pleasant, you know, you kind of roll the ball and it, and it keeps rolling. Well, they are like ergonomic. So. It's all very big gesture be- instead of like little detailed fine movements i always feel like i'm uh i'm i'm doing a lot of when i'm doing big movement i'm not going move 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 i'm going and it just kind of flings it over there and i do a lot of i do a lot of that um i don't know it's it's the way that i've been using pointing devices for a very long time but anyway that that's my method of pointing is not very conducive to hot corners because I, I fling my cursor into the hot corners all the time and it's a bad idea. So uh, so I, I, I have avoided that feature. But it's cool that you use that. That makes sense. I mean, it's a great feature if people don't know about it. Like there's a at least small collection of things that you can set off yep. um, by putting your by parking your cursor in the corner of the screen. What a weird idea, but it's actually kind of brilliant. You can lock your, lock your screen or go to the screensaver. I don't even know what all the options are, but there are a few. You can do mission control and dash Dashboard, ah, our friend dashboard, yeah. launch pad. Dashboard! You can put oh, yeah, the display to sleep, which seems like an awkward one to have to deal with. But Well, that's yeah. but that's like the, um yeah, that's that's kind of like locking the screen. But mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Thank you to Edwin for that suggestion. If you would like to send in a tweet to open the show, just send in a uh, question with a hashtag SnowTalk. So just uh, send in a tweet to us, hashtag SnowTalk, and it may be picked for a future episode. Um, just a piece of follow-up. So we spoke a lot about TVs last week, and um, up to that point, it was unknown how many more manufacturers would join um, LG and Samsung uh, with the uh, with, with adding AirPlay and, and HomeKit to the television sets, Sony. And the fun thing about Sony being adding it to theirs is Sony's TVs run on Android, which is uh-huh. just it's just a fun thought, right? That like these Android TVs will will have AirPlay two in them. I just I yep. like that. It's, it's presumably like a Android, fun thing to me. Android code. Oh, breaking news, breaking news. I actually have a hot corner uh, configured on my Mac that I didn't even remember. <laughs> but it's it's the it's it doesn't do anything. That's okay. the point of it. So I have my upper left hot uh-huh. corner disables the screensaver. So if I am like doing something where I don't want the screensaver to come on, like, uh, you know, just like keep the UI visible. I need to see it. I'm going to go away, but mm. I don't want the screensaver to kick in and the computer to lock. Apparently, at some point, I set that up so in the I can move my cursor to the upper left corner and then the screensaver doesn't engage, which is, yeah. you can see why I didn't even think about that because it's not kicking anything off. Notice. It's actually just pre- <laughs> it's preventing yeah. the screensaver from running. Okay, anyway, so there's the there, Edwin, I gotcha there at the end. So yeah, t- televisions. There's going to be a lot of them with AirPlay too, a lot of them with HomeKit. I think we're well. We definitely are still waiting for the other shoe to drop with this yeah. to kind of understand what this is all going to look like. Um, you know, like is Samsung going to be the only manufacturer with direct ties into the apps? Like, why is that? If that's the case, um, yeah, I'm 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 intrigued to see how how this is all going to shake out over the coming months. Uh, I'm I still think 
you know, I mean, we spoke about this in the past. We're moving into upstream now, slight, ever so slightly, one foot in the upstream uh, mm-hmm. segment. Bucket. But uh, spring, I think we're going to see something in the spring from Apple about the TV service. But yeah, we'll that, that feels that feels right to me. I mean, who knows? It could really be any time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every day is Apple uh, TV service day, mm-hmm. it, potentially in 2019. But it does, yeah, I think... I feel like sooner rather than later, I think they maybe want to get out in front of the Disney service, which is supposed to come, and the Warner Media service, both of which mm-hmm. are supposed to come, I think, toward the last half of the year. And so why would they not want to get out in front of it? So let's t- uh, talk about Upstream. This was uh, We were originally going to talk about this topic last week, but we moved it for obvious reasons, but it still warrants discussion. Netflix have removed in-app subscriptions on iOS, so you can no longer sign up for a Netflix plan in the Netflix iOS app. Uh, when you open it for the first time, you're just given the option to log in. Um, and I really liked uh, John Gruber wrote an article about this in Daring Fireball, where he kind of like took a look at the page and all that was there was just the login and a help button. And when you press the help button, it calls Netflix support. And then he was kind of just like playing the role. I, I love the idea of, of John Gruber doing some acting as he speaks to the Netflix support person. It's like, I don't know how to sign up for Netflix. And then they like, what yeah. am I supposed to do here? And then they explained to him, Go to the website. So that's kind of the situation. Um, it is estimated uh, based on estimations and charts and all that kind of stuff. This could cost Apple about two hundred and fifty-six million dollars a year with the lot with the cut with the loss of their cut of Netflix's revenue coming from iOS. Um, it is worth remembering that. Netflix at least had a lot of customers that were being charged 15%, not 30%, because the App Store cuts this in half a year after subscription, right? So if you subscribe to a year, no matter who you are, if you have an in-app subscription, no matter what developer you are, after one year, Apple cuts their cut down to 15% for those customers, right? And then that continues from there. However, it has been long rumored that Netflix never paid that 30% and that they were always paying 15%. So... What do you think about this? What do you think about the fact that Netflix has done it? Um, why do you think they've done it now? And do you, what do you think about Apple's kind of position and stance with this type of thing specifically? You know, I I don't know. I, I, I'm torn. We've talked about this before. I get the idea that Apple doesn't want the App Store to become filled with kind of sleazy stuff where they're taking you off to their own web service and asking for your credit card yeah, and stuff like, like that. it's people trying to punch holes in the system, right? Like every app will just be free and it's like some kind of shell, right? And then like you actually have to subscribe right. via our payment processing or whatever. So that's part of it. On, on top of that, the Apple payment system is convenient, right? Like there's no denying that yes. you put in your credit card with your Apple ID you are, you know, there's standard UI. It always goes through Apple. They have a refund system. You know, Apple's a legitimate vendor. So, I mean, I suppose, you know, they could they could leak your credit card, but it's less likely than random company could leak your credit less, card. See, I mean, it, I, I, my feeling on that is it hasn't happened yet, and I'm assuming people are trying to break into Apple's credit right. card database many, many times a day. So I feel like at this point, they are one of the probably the safest places to have your right. credit card information. And uh, just, you know, it's consistent UI. You're using Face ID. If you've got a system that has Face ID or Touch ID, if you can't, you know, it's it's got all of this stuff going for it. So from a user perspective, having every payment go through Apple, um, I get why it's easier that way 
And then this comes back to the thing that you and I have definitely talked about more than once, usually about Amazon, but Netflix is a good example too, which is at the same time, there are a lot of businesses that are reluctant to give away a big percentage to Apple or or can't because of margins. And I think about like Kindle books and things like that, where like the whole margin would be gone. And then some, if you gave Apple their cut, where there's got to be uh, a carve out. And that that's, I and I get like, I, I we, when we talk about this, we get a lot of feedback from people who are like, well, if Apple does that, they have to do it for everyone. It's like, you know, no, do they? They, don't. They, don't. <laughs> they, they? they really don't. No. So like, I would, I would say that, you know what I would like to see is Apple for again to make it as easy as possible for users uh, to let companies like Amazon and Netflix put their uh, you know put their their regular sign up form in their app, mm-hmm. even if it's just a web link, because it's sort of a special case. Um, at the very least, it would be nice if they could actually say you need to sign up for this on the web and kick it out to a Safari page. My frustration is that Apple, I think motivated by the fact, and this is the part that isn't motivated by the fact that it's better for users. This is motivated by the fact that it's better for Apple. They don't want to even let you admit that there's another way to sign up. So like the Kindle app can't point you at the at the uh, at the place to go that comiXology gap can't open a web view or kick you out to safari in order to buy mm-hmm. stuff they have to pretend that it doesn't exist and then you just have to kind of know and that's stupid it's bad that's bad for the users because uh it's apple saying well if you're not going to use our system and let us skim 15 percent off the top then you just have to pretend that uh it doesn't your, exist your website somehow. doesn't exist yeah. and i i don't i don't see how that is a good user experience it's so not- i so I get, like, I get Apple's point, which is they want to use their leverage uh, of of using their easy to use payment system to get a, a cut from your business. But I also understand that there's some businesses for whom that is they just can't. They're they're it's not going to work if they do it that way. And unfortunately, Apple is in this kind of. Uh, absolutist mode right now i mean the only way it could be worse i guess is that if they said if you don't use our system you can't be on our platform but that's not going to happen because apple's not going to kick netflix off and they're not going to kick amazon off so we end up in this weird interim state and i don't i don't like it i get that apple is uh gonna miss you know 250 million dollars a year of their cut from netflix Uh, i also get that if i'm netflix why am i why am I doing that? I'm giving my and, and having been in this uh, in, in, working for a media company, it's not just that, but I'm giving away my customer data. I, I no mm-hmm. longer have direct access to these customers. They're Apple customers, and I get some money back, but they're they're Apple customers. And um, you know, even if I wasn't reselling people's data and all that, it's like I don't know who they are anymore. They're just a generic Apple customer. I can't email them. I can't. Uh, you know, there's a limit to what I can I can individually profile them by a code, but that's not quite the same thing. It's like. I get why a company would want to do it. So it's one of those things where, for the user's sake, I think Apple needs to open this up more. Um, I don't think Apple needs to give away their payment system, but I would really like Apple to loosen the restrictions on this stuff so that it's a better experience for the users. You shouldn't have to launch Netflix and and have it be like, I can't help you here. Mm -hmm. Figure out what to do. Like It's like if you imagine a conversation between you and the app, right? Like, hi, log into your account. I don't have an account. Well, yeah. all right then. Bye. You know that all. That all said, um, I don't really uh, like the the advantage of doing it Apple's way before was that 
um, you could sign up for Netflix within Apple's world and manage it through your many, you know, subscriptions in the App Store. And I can see some user advantage there. Although it always struck me as being ridiculous. Like, why would I, you know, because, but I know that Apple's taking a cut for nothing other than using the in-app purchases. So I've never subscribed to a service like this through Apple. Oh, okay. But most, most people aren't like that. Like, I mean, I, I used to buy my comics on Comixology. When they were available in-app purchase, I still bought them on the web because I thought, why am I giving Apple a cut of this transaction? Um, but so, you know, but it is it is easier for people. So it's, it, you know, I, I would say don't. Uh, the other thing that happens sometimes is some some people have experimented with the idea that it, it costs more inside the in-app purchase than it does on the outside. They're basically like you're paying Apple for the convenience of it, which I don't love either. So I, I just don't love this whole thing. Um, but I can totally see Netflix saying this doesn't make sense for us to channel our people through your system because what's the point in that? As you'll remember, the, act, the, the idea of charging more is also prohibited. Do you remember the issues between Apple and Spotify? When Spotify was trying to charge more Right, like they were trying to make it cheaper if you subscribed outside of uh, the App Store, and then there were no Spotify updates for a long time. Do you remember that? We spoke about that a long time ago. Yeah, where Apple kind of blocked them. It was quite thinking something I was thinking of, like why now? Right, like Netflix and Apple seem to have had a really good partnership thus far. Right, like when a lot of their competitors had done this a long time ago netflix still kept it around you know they they do a pretty good job of it of adapting to new platforms and and you know being on the apple tv and and all that kind of stuff and i was wondering jason do you think that maybe the business relationship has changed now that apple is about to start competing with them it's possible it's possible i mean who knows i i if i'm netflix i guess they're no longer just a platform. They're also a competitor. Yes. Um, but I don't know. I mean, who can tell what the what the uh, corporate culture is inside of uh, Netflix, especially? I mean, I, my feeling is like if they were questioning it, like if they're on the fence about whether they wanted to keep doing this, that would definitely be a part of like, all right, they're now our competition, right? Like yeah. it makes it just a little bit harder to keep yeah. cutting them why, a check. Why, why, are we, why are we giving our competition... Um, it, well, they're not even cutting them a check. It's like, why are we yeah, allowing you know, our competition you know, you know to point. to to filter our our money, take a cut, and then pass <laughs> so, it on to us? Like, if like, you start looking no. at it, okay, so they brought a billion dollars together, right, for their TV. It's like, well, we paid for a quarter of that. Yeah. Right? I think it gets, I think it becomes a little bit, I know I would feel that way, right? Like, if yeah. I was in charge of Netflix, I would kind of, at that point, be like, well... They don't do anything for us, right? Like they're not generating new customers. Right. Well, that that's that's what I was going to say is think of it this way, which is Apple's in-app purchase and subscription program is a convenience that makes it easier for users and easier for um app makers and service makers, especially on a smaller smaller ones, right? It's it's the ones it's the little independent developers mm-hmm. especially, but it is a convenience to make it a better experience for users and a uh, a streamlined experience for the vendors. And then there is this other group where it doesn't add convenience. All it is is an impediment. It doesn't make things easier. It just makes things weirder and and they're working at a scale where it's enormous sums of money that they're throwing in for some arguable but small uh, user benefit. 
And I think that's the problem is, as with so much of the App Store, right? The App Store was was built on the iTunes model. So it's got this kind of like hit singles problem that it's always had. Uh, and also this is uh, a lot of these decisions are made for kind of like smaller vendors or it's m- been made for like in-app purchases of stuff for games. And, you know, th- this is not a system built for Netflix, <laughs> right? No. This is not a system built for selling comic books at very low margins through Comixology. It's not built for that and it doesn't work for that. And so... I, I keep thinking that the ideal thing for Apple to do is to work with these vendors and say, all right, this is obviously not going to work. So let's come up with something else. The problem with something like Netflix is it obviously did sort of work because there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that, that is still going through because these people who are on the Apple subscription plan can, can stay on it. They just, you just can't sign up using that system anymore. Um, so obviously it did work and that's money that Apple's going to lose if uh, Netflix walks away at the same time, you know, Netflix walking away, like th- there's an opportunity missed there for Apple. Is there, is there some other uh, approach that Apple could take to them and for Amazon in general? Cause this comes for me, it keeps coming back to like the Kindle books and comics and stuff too, which is like, it's just a bad user experience mm-hmm. and Apple do- is going to insist on it being a bad user experience, even though it's impossible for Amazon to make any, you know, they'll lose money on everything they sell if they, if they do it that way. And so what it, it, we're kind of at an impasse. And I, I just think that it's a bad user experience and Apple should do something to correct it. But I get the impetus there, which is it's services revenue. All this stuff is counted as services revenue. All of that uh, Netflix money that comes in and then Apple kicks, uh, you know, 85% of it back out. But it's all Apple services revenue. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, I, I, I see why Apple's motivated here, but it's just frustrating because it's a system built for a different business model than the one that they're enforcing on Netflix and Amazon. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Luna Display. They are the makers of the hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac, meaning you'll have a second display that is incredibly portable with basically zero lag and beautiful image quality. Setting up Luna Display is super easy. You just plug a small, tiny little dongle into your Mac and you're ready to go. Plus, everything works over Wi-Fi. But let's imagine that you have want to have your laptop with you and your iPad with you and you're traveling. You Maybe you're in a hotel room. Maybe you're on a plane or something. I don't know. No matter where you are and you want to be able to have these two screens available to you, you can also plug in via USB as well. Super simple to set up and you'll get that extra screen real estate whenever and wherever you want. So, for example, you could be sitting in front of your iMac like I am right now and you could have Luna Display set up with a screen on the side. Maybe you you could have social media stuff over there or messages stuff over there. Or maybe like, you know, when uh, I, I think Stephen Hackett does this, when he's recording a show, he has audio hijack on Luna Display on his he iPad does. to the side. And that's a great thing. For me, Luna Display has turned macOS into an app on my iPad, which I love so much because I have my Luna Display plugged into my Mac Mini. And now whenever I'm at home and I need to grab, jump onto the Mac for something because maybe a website's acting up or I need to go in and do something, maybe I need to do some like Dropbox file administration or whatever for stuff that I don't, for files that are too big for me to want to do, deal with on my, uh, on my iPad, I could just open the Luna Display app. My Mac Mini is always there ready to go and I can do whatever I need. I 
love my Luna Display. It's such a flexible little system. I think it's wonderful. Listeners of Upgrade can get a, an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com, L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com, promo code Upgrade at checkout, and you'll get that 10% off. That's lunadisplay.com, promo code Upgrade at checkout. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Jason, it is now uh, 2019, which means we can talk about... Indeed. I declare the iPhone rumors season open. iPhone 11 time. The Wall Street Journal has published a report saying that Apple plans to introduce three new iPhones again in September of this year. So, as you would imagine... The cameras are a big focus for these new phones. And pretty much the only real big detail that uh, the Wall Street Journal has in this article is the idea that there's going to be some camera changes. So the let's let's say the iPhone 11, so what will replace the, the 10s, no changes for the amount of lenses that it's getting. Of course, those lenses will be updated in some way, but that's going to be a dual lens uh, on the back phone. The 11R will get two lenses, so it's going to get an extra lens from the 10R to the 11R. And apparently, we could be looking at a triple camera system for the Max. Uh, it is not stated at all in this article what that third camera could be used for, um, no. just that there's three of them. And the thing is, it is until there's any more information or until like any more rumors or until Apple shows it off, it could be anything because there are you know the phones that are out there now that have multiple lenses. They they use this for all different types of stuff. Some some on some phones that third lens is basically unusable by the user, but it's used to collect more data, right? For like portrait mode and stuff like that. In some phones, it is like a, a wide angle lens, right? Or like the, there's a lot of different things that you can do with a third right. lens. Um, mm-hmm. But now the the there will be a differentiation between the phones again. The Wall Street this article I didn't really like this article very much. It's bad. Um, it's, 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 it, it's super bad. Yeah. So like they seem to focus on the literal amount of cameras being uh, some kind of key selling point of phones. They say uh-huh. that they are lagging behind phones that have multiple phones uh, lenses, including the Galaxy A9, which I think is from their budget line than uh-huh. Samsung because it has four cameras. So like so for some reason Apple needs to catch up of them and the mate 20 which has a uh, three and that the mate 20 is a huawei phone which is a that if you are aware that's the one that that is the phone that won mkbht's blind camera test to everybody's right. surprise which was really funny um but for some reason the wall street journal seems to think that the amount of lenses somehow makes the phone just better yeah. it's a really no, this stupid is, this thing. is this is a uh this is a megahertz myth kind of level thing yes where or or a megapixel race right where it's like well we have more megapixels therefore our camera is better and we know that's not true um and you you look at companies adding four cameras on the back and you say to them yourself like who are they fooling here and the answer apparently is reporters for the wall street journal that's who yeah. they're fooling yeah. who would be uh, a big enough sucker to believe that that was relevant the part that got me is they had this whole thing about how apple needs to catch up with the competition and then they mentioned these completely random phones instead of the pixel 3 which is the consensus among yes. tech reviewers best smartphone camera right which adding a third lens to this phone will probably not do that Right, like well, it, it, you know, it it might add some stuff, but just adding a third lens to this phone, we now we we can't just all walk away and be like, great, it's now going to be like the Pixel. 
yeah, I mean the pixel, <laughs> the pixel can do it <laughs> with with one, right? <laughs> like it's a good lens, and then there's software. So having three, um, I'm sure that Apple is not putting a third lens on there for funsies for yeah. <laughs> for for uh, check marks on mm-hmm. a specs list, right? Uh, but what? are they doing is the question have you seen the renders like the the, the, the purported renders of this instead it's, it's like a camera housing on the back yeah. it's like a, a super bump mm-hmm. that's got three cameras and the flash and a microphone on the back it's real awkward huh like it's not- yeah <laughs> it, it is but but i do wonder like the if you if you put three cameras in a in a kind of a v configuration it gives you um it gives you more parallax to work with in terms of uh, detecting uh, depth. Yeah, I'm sure that that's if the, if this is the case. If it kind of looks like this, at least the, the I would I would totally be on board with like the spacing being this way. I don't know if it would look like that design wise with like this kind of uh, round rack just stuck to the back of the phone. But who knows? Like that might be what yeah. it's like, and you know it might not be as deep as this render seems to suggest. But anyway, however it ends up looking, you know there may also be like smart HDR things where with the multiple cameras they have tricks that they you know my guess is that their camera group and their photography group pushed for this camera configuration if it's real mm-hmm. in saying like we can do this is what it gets us right yeah. it's not let's add a third camera it's this is what it gets a us a few extra millimeters of separation between these lenses can give us this amount of difference right is it is it wide angle is it better smart hdr because you can have different lenses bracketing different things uh is it better low light performance because one of the cameras is going to be better in low light i don't know what it is but my guess is that uh apple is you know apple doesn't do stuff like this uh, backward like that they they would be motivated by the features that they could get out of it um i think it's interesting that these rumors are about the back the back cameras right because the front camera is the other thought like the idea of having the you know a wide angle uh selfie mode uh and doing more interesting things with the with the front uh i'm interested in i mean we said this before we'll, we'll say it again the true frontier of smartphone feature wars is the camera because mm-hmm. It's the most important feature. Like, everything else is table stakes at this point. Like, mm-hmm. does it get on the internet? Yeah, it does. Does it run apps? Mm-hmm, it does. Uh, I, but, like, can I take better pictures with it? Because this is the thing that I carry around with me and take all of my pictures. It's like, that, that's, that really matters. And, um, you know, Apple knows it. Apple, Apple always focuses on their, on their camera yep. and the functionality of the camera. So it's really interesting to see them potentially go down this path where they've got this whole camera thing on the back uh, with all of these different sensors because it suggests that they think that they've got some very clever things they can do with it that are not described in the Wall Street Journal article, which is too busy just counting lenses. What do you think about the idea of going back to differentiating iPhone features based on hardware size? Well... You know, as a person who likes the small phones and not the large phones, I don't like it because it means that I'm going to be left out of the new stuff on the bigger phone, if that's the case, where the Max Club members will will mm-hmm. uh, will do it. But on on the other hand, you're charging a lot of money for that phone. It's also very large. Having more stuff in it, I, I think is okay. I, I think that's not unreasonable to do yeah. that because you're paying more for what you get. In fact, that's the argument right now with the, the 10s Max, right? Is that you're paying more for size and that's really it because yep. there are no more features. It's just size. 
you have to really like a big screen a lot, like I do, right? But you have to really, really, really like just having a big screen. Yeah. Because that's all it is. Like the battery is great, but it's still not even that much more. Like it's not it's not like the difference that the plus used to be, you know? Um the eleven R is uh, apparently gonna still feature an L C D display, uh, with the plan to shift to OLED in twenty twenty. So that that's another little piece of information. Uh, I just guess by that point it will be cheap enough for them to do it, right? I mean, yeah, would move it to OLED as soon as they can would be my expectation, but I would think it, it would, you know, it's just like cost prohibitive. Um, apparently, Apple is also investigating if it's possible to cut any features from the line to reduce overall cost, uh, with 3D Touch being on the table. I have no doubt that they are looking to do this stuff. I mean, the article even kind of states the fact that like there kind of isn't really anything that they can do to, to these phones, these ones. Like maybe the They're 2020 designed. phones yeah. might have some changes to address any potential customer kind of perception of the phones, right? Where, you know, like whether it's like innovation or another thing that makes this article so terrible, by the way, um, is at the end. Did you read the whole thing? I mean, I wouldn't be I surprised did. if you bowed out. The end of this I article, did. they back up the idea that consumers are being kept away of price and features by getting a quote from a random customer in Shanghai who left an Apple store without buying a new phone. And like, oh, yeah. Yeah, the I customer's like, oh, I want more innovation. And like, <laughs> did you say that though? I don't know if you actually said that. And if you did, why is this important, Wall Street Journal? Like, a quote from some customer. Like any, what? How many customers did you speak to? Did you speak to the customers that actually left the store with a phone and found out why they wanted them? Like it's such a weird. This yeah. article is very weird. They clearly had one. This is what this is a prime example of. We have one piece of information. Yeah, and then there's a narrative building that goes on. How big an article can we make? Exactly right. Exactly right. So we we ding we ding Bloomberg for this sometimes where they take Mark Gurman's information and it's you know three lines and then they build a whole narrative around it. But you know the journal does it too, and this is this is definitely that where they're they, they, they had they had a scoop and then they built a whole story around it. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question about this. Okay. Sometimes controlled leaks happen, right? This isn't one, is it? <laughs> no, no, I don't think I don't think so. I, I this I mean it's possible, but I think it's unlikely. I think I think Apple generally does controlled leaks when there's like some thing in the water that is not right uh, or that isn't spun right for them, and that they want to counter it. And I mean, I suppose like fire up the <laughs> rumor mill is a great way to take the heat off of them for uh, what's going on now with the iPhone. But I don't think so. I don't think that that's what's going on here. I think this is a, you know, this it's about about right, right? Like we turn mm-hmm. into January and then all of a sudden the 2019 iPhone rumor stories start appearing. And and here we are with that. Yeah, because when, when I saw the headline, I was like, oh, here we go. PR machines back in action. And, you know, and I read the article and I was like, oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> They're definitely not. <laughs> no, no, no. The 3D touch thing is interesting, by the way. I, I uh, the At least in the Mac Rumors story, I, I noticed somebody uh, saying, which is basically a summary of the Wall Street Journal story, the idea that it doesn't mean that 3D touch is necessarily going away, but that the existing 3D touch hardware is expensive to implement and yep. that they might take it out. And that there's some interesting thoughts there about like, would they try to re-implement 3D touch in a different way using new technology that allows them to sense pressure in a different way that's cheaper? And I don't know whether that's possible or not, or whether they would just kind of like push the haptic touch stuff 
stuff and and say we're moving on from from 3D touch and and off to to the the haptic touch stuff, which is basically touch and hold with a vibration. It's not like that's all it is. But uh, interesting to to see if they're if they've got something else up their sleeve for that. All right, let's take a break and thank our friends over at Smile for their support of this show. And today I want to tell you all about PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs. With PDF Pen, you can say goodbye to filing and go completely paperless for scanning and OCR. There's no more where you have to deal with like printing something out and scanning it and turning it into a PDF and emailing it to someone. You just, as soon as it comes in via email, you just open the PDF up and you just sign it yourself and send it straight back. There's no requirement to, as much as I love putting ink to paper, you don't need to do that when you have PDF Pen. You can mark up and highlight PDFs. You can search and even redact sensitive information. So if you have like account numbers or addresses or whatever, or personal identifiers that don't need to be in a PDF, you can remove them. And one of my favorite features, you can correct text in the PDF even without the original. This is like utilizing the power of OCR and and the amazing tools that PDF Pen has. It really is fantastic. You can move and adjust images now as well and add watermarks to your PDFs as well. It's so much stuff going on. Just before we started this show, I had to sign a contract. Just opened up PDF Pen, put the signature in, saved it, and sent it straight back. I don't need to to create extra files. I don't need to export in any weird formats. It's just taken care of for me, and it's one of the reasons that I love this app so much. With the uh, PDF Pen Pro, you can convert websites into PDFs. You can create and edit tables of contents for your PDFs and even edit document permissions as well. Uh, With version 2.2 of PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro on the Mac, you have dark mode. For all of you, all of the upgradings out there that love dark mode. And of course, PDF Pen is available on iOS as well. I use it on my iPad with my Apple Pencil all the time so I can sign with my Apple Pencil, which I love doing. Basically, if you ever deal with PDFs, trust me, you need PDF Pen. You can learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro right now at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That's smilesoftware.com slash podcast. And hey, if they say, hey, how did you hear about us? Say, from the Upgrade Podcast. And thanks to PDF Pen for their support of this this show and all of Relay FM. Yay. So, Jason Snell, you have mm-hmm. been up to all sorts with uh, smart home stuff. I saw you published a review of a smart lock over at Six I did. Colors a couple of days ago. And I wanted to talk to you about this because smart locks kind of feel similar to me, like electric cars or self driving car technology. As a thing that we can kind of see as the future, but a lot of people are a little bit hesitant of or like a little bit scared of, you know, like if I get a smart lock, can someone hack into my house? Or if I get a smart right. lock, can I be locked out forever if I lose mm-hmm. my phone or whatever? So sure. I'd kind of like to understand some of the thinking and then talk about, you know, kind of your general uses. So why did you want to get one of these things anyway? Yeah, so the I, I share those skepticisms about it. I also had the skepticism of just like, why? What's the benefit? What would be the benefit? Yeah, here? am I just am I just doing a stupid nerdy thing that my whole family's going to hate me for? <laughs> and and quite honestly, it's like a one too many times we ended up like driving away from our house and saying, uh, d- "Did anyone lock the door?" <laughs> mm-hmm. And be like, uh, mm, "I don't know," and like, "I don't like turning around." and checking to see if we locked the door. I don't like calling our neighbor and having them check to see if we locked the door. Um, and that alone was reason enough. Like, literally, this happened. It's in the story. But uh, literally, this happened on our way to, into San Francisco. And by the time we, we uh, you know, got 
back in the car at the end, uh, I had already purchased this lock. <laughs> and okay. It was coming to us from Amazon. So that was that was the start of it. Also, I liked I kind of liked the idea of uh, with the kids um, coming and going that they uh, like my son didn't. Sometimes he had his key. Sometimes he didn't. Sometimes my daughter had her key. Sometimes she didn't. So sometimes I was like letting them in or they would have to go around and uh, like not having to carry a key and being able to get back in the house was kind of nice. So there were other benefits that I could I kind of saw. But the number one was I like the idea that I could check on my phone and basically see, yeah, the door is closed and locked. And right. just it's done. And the peace of mind is there. And actually, the way our... Um, the way our house works, and and I learned after writing the story that you know everybody's got a different situation. We in in Europe, as somebody pointed out, a lot of the the front doors you open the door with the key, like the key yes, actually turns that. the latch. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least in lots of parts of the United States, you have a doorknob or a door latch that you push that set that is not on a lock. It may be locked, it may have a lock, but it's not um, the only way. Uh, you know, you can you can just push it if it's unlocked yeah you just push i will it say and, and so latches in our apartment building um the the kind of the locks that are on all the doors they have to be manually locked like what you're talking about right you can close the door but it doesn't lock it the first thing we did when we bought this place was put in a second lock that will lock right like right because that we own this place so we can do what, I, what we want with it but there are other people that are renting that they have to remember to lock their doors right yeah well and so this we is what i was going to say is that is that this didn't used to be a problem before we got our new door as a part of our, you know, renovation that we did of our house like six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the old door had a doorknob and a deadbolt and the doorknob had a, had a lock in it and then the deadbolt had a lock. And so if you had the doorknob set to be locked and it was turnable, there's a little thing on the back of it. If it was set to be locked and you closed the door, the door was locked. It wasn't yep. deadbolted, but the door was locked. Yeah. If you had it, if you had a turn to unlock and our side door is still like this. Um, then you would step outside and close the door and you could just turn the handle and come back in. Uh, the new one, the latch doesn't have a lock. So the latch is the latch and the deadbolt is the only lock on the door. And what that means is every time you leave and you want to lock the door, you have to remember to put the key in the lock and lock the door. You can't just close the door and it's locked. So that led to this situation happening all the time, right? Because we would leave that doorknob set to auto lock. And so, yeah, maybe we forgot to deadbolt the door, but it's not that big a deal. The door is locked. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I will, I'll do a little sidebar here to say, um, you know, how important is it to lock your front door? Uh, I think there are people who potentially go around and check to see if a door is open and then walk in. Um, I do think that that probably happens. Uh, no lock is super secure. If they want to break into your house. They're going to break into your house, right? Like th- that's there's there's windows. There's they can smash the door and open it. It's not a perfect system, but uh, I like the you idea know, that our door is better, not. You're better luck. Like if you've open. got somebody who is like the right level of desperate, you know, they're going to check doors that right. are on that will open before they'll break into something. You know, like, exactly. It's best to have it locked. Yeah, so so that that's my that's my thought process here because yeah. I'm gonna get you know we're gonna get those notes of like well you know it's not secure because yes like you I need understand. a system you, and you need lasers you and dogs pick. and sharks yeah. with lasers on <laughs> well, their heads you know, and all of those things you got such a, a typical five man crew situation yeah. you've got the eyes the ears you know that's <laughs> how it goes so uh, so anyway that that was that was a big part of it um, and I should mention that one of the features of this is you can set it to auto lock so actually and you can set the amount of time but if the door is closed and not locked, 
you set a time and I think the default is two minutes. Yeah. And it just locks. So my my kids sometimes will leave and not lock the door. And I'll be like, like my daughter has left for a sleepover and not lock the door and we'll be going to bed and I'll be in bed and I'll be like, wait a second. And I'll go out and, oh no, the door's not locked. And I'll lock the door. So with this, if they, if anybody kind of comes and goes and leaves the door unlocked after two minutes, it just locks itself. So there's that kind of peace of mind on top of it. So lots of kind of smart things. It does home kit. Um, it's got a little, you know, it's actually got a little module where you plug in a smart home something. So by default, this thing is just a keypad mm-hmm. with a deadbolt, mm-hmm. um, but it's got a little smart, uh, plug area and it comes, the package I bought comes with the little thing that you plug in there, uh, on the inside. It's like a little module. And then that's the smart for the smart home stuff. Right. And then it has a little, uh, plug that looks like a, uh, Looks like a, an iPhone charger brick, except all it is, it just plugs into the wall. And that is a Bluetooth LE to Wi-Fi bridge because it uses Bluetooth LE. Uh, and if you want it on your home network for remote access and home kit and all of that, you add this little plug. Right. And now it is relaying your Wi-Fi stuff to the lock via Bluetooth LE. So this is the Yale Assure a-S-S-U-R-E, which is a fun name, right? Like, we assure you it's closed, mm-hmm. uh, which is where the name come from. Someone wrote that on a whiteboard somewhere. Uh, yep. and yeah, that's what you got. But you got, like, a whole package, which includes yeah, all of you the get, little extra bits, it's got, bits and bobs. It's got the, the whole uh, smart stuff package that comes along with it, and it's all in a bundle. And it's very easy to install it. Um, it is this keypad on the door, so it's got a bunch of other features. Like, you can... You don't need any smart devices. You can also walk up to the door and put in a code. And yes, you can generate codes and you can generate and revoke codes and you can uh, set codes for certain times. So if you have a plumber who needs to come to the house and you're not there, this is the example they always give. You can give them a code that'll let them in, but only on the one day, only in a period of time. Or if you have a house cleaner who comes only on a certain day, you can give them a code. Um, I always think those are funny because it's like, we trust you in our house randomly or non-randomly, but we don't trust you in our house randomly. (laughs) It's like, okay, fine. And you can deauthorize codes. You can give a house guest a code and it's all just punching the number on the little, uh, glass uh touchpad on the front there's no there's no physical lock you know no physical keyhole on this thing it's just a pad um and uh yeah so you can do that um but the the clever thing for um for smartphone users uh is there's an app you connect it to the device and and uh you authenticate and all of these things and you can turn on auto unlock and the way that works is when you leave your vicinity of your house and you have to leave the area otherwise every time you walk past the front door it'll unlock you know it's like oh i see that phone on bluetooth i'll unlock the door and it's like no 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 i'm just in my house stop it so they don't do that that's very clever of them they do location services and they wait until you're out of a radius you can define of your house so when i walk the dog i leave that radius and then it says okay he's gone Mm -hmm. the next time i see him back here i'll unlock the door and it you know, I, I wouldn't say it works 100% of the time, but I would say it works 90% of the time, maybe, where I come back home and either the door's already unlocked or I'm walking up and I hear the door unlock or I get to the door and it and, and I push down the handle and it hasn't unlocked and then it goes and then it unlocks. So it's it's a uh, it's pretty successful. It's not 100%. Can you get push notifications when it locks and unlocks? Indeed, I can. In nice. fact, that happens when I'm here working in my office with the door closed and the kids are coming home from school. Um, 
uh, or even on the weekend, my wife's going out to go shopping or something like that. Um, little notification center on my because uh, it's HomeKit, so it's not just the app notification oh, center. Uh, Home HomeKit will see it, so yeah. I'll get a little thing that says door was open, door was unlocked, door was locked. Mm-hmm. Uh, as my uh, and, and I, I'll say to myself, oh, you know, my daughter's home, my son's home, um, which is uh, just a little bonus thing. So I've also heard I, I I haven't tried this out yet, but I heard from. Uh, I can't remember who that was. Somebody, uh, was it Dave Nanian maybe who does, um, a super duper said that, uh, he actually finds that the home kit stuff is more, uh, rapid to respond than the on device stuff. And that if you set a, I think what he said is if you set it that like when you return home, uh, turn on a, like a light switch or a smart switch somewhere and then have it be whenever that smart switch turns on the lock unlocks. He, he in his experience that actually worked faster <laughs> that you, that like HomeKit was even more robust at detecting your return home and uh, oh. and doing it. So I haven't I haven't tried that yet. Right. But it's so all, you, I see. It's all so in there too. You set up like a geofence thing in HomeKit to be like when I get home, turn on this light, and then the thing is watching for when that light turns on, unlock the door. Right. Exactly. Okay. And, and, and I think what's happening there is it's not waiting for the Bluetooth LE. Uh, sense that my phone is now close to the lock. Yes. Uh, it's just using the iPhone location settings, um, which it, I, I want to try it out. I'm not sure I want to do it that way um, because this is, seems reliable enough, but that's an mm-hmm. interesting little twist. So it's been it's been kind of fun, um, and I think it is vastly increased peace of mind, and there is something kind of cool and futuristic about walking up to your front door and having it unlock before you open it because it knows you're home. Um, and in fact, the push notification comes in and it basically says, welcome home, <laughs> door is unlocked. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. I, so I, I'm happy to have, have gotten it. There were a couple of things that I found really interesting in your article. One was the actual issue of the perceived convenience of being able to speak to a voice assistant like the HomePod or the Amazon Echo to ask it to lock and unlock the door, which is a feature of these, that someone could just shout really loudly yeah, and potentially unlock the door. I tried to do this uh, on our Echo and because my wife was walking home and I had not set up her uh, phone yet to use it. And so I just said, hey, lady, unlock the front door. And what the lady said was, I'm sorry, this is a feature that you have to um, enable. And I think um, I think it said with a code, with a security code or something like that. And basically there's this extra layer before you can get that to work. And the reason is... If you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense, which is if you have smart assistants in places that are close to the front door, especially like if you leave a window open, but even if the window is closed, if they can hear outside and somebody stands at your window and shouts, hey, lady, unlock the front door. That's bad. That's a security problem. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. So it doesn't do that by default. You can turn that on. Um, and I haven't because... I, at that point, most of the time, uh, it's just going to auto unlock. And I can also just really quickly open up HomeKit in Notification Center and or in Control Center and unlock the door that way. And I've always wondered, like, what do you do if everything fails? Like the technology fails you? And I like that this one is like, there's a battery, right? You need to get a battery. Yeah. 
which is yeah fun. so so if your phones fail you can use the keypad if the yeah. batteries because it's a it's like a double a batteries are in it which last a long time they say but what if the double a battery dies and you need to get in oh no um well you can it, it'll take a nine volt battery there's a little space on the bottom that's completely hidden but if you plug a nine volt battery in there it just turns on and then you can put in the code and get in the house it's like a fail safe it's a little bit silly but like if you've got a place where you hide a key or something like that you can just hide the battery there and plug the battery in and and put in the code and then you get in but the that's, house that's even better than hiding a key though right like that right because you yeah. still need to know the code yeah exactly right and then they do highly recommend that you have an alternate you know an alternate way in and we do have other doors into the house from other places that are much less convenient uh to go and to to get to and to get to where the key is and to all of those things like there are ways but they're super inconvenient for good reason mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah so this is that they they quite rightly realized that somebody was going to say well what if the battery dies while i'm on vacation and then i can't get into my house and they said well we have the nine volt battery ba- bypass, so keep that in your car or in your hide a key spot or somewhere, and uh, just use that if the battery dies. It's in case of emergency. It's a little bit silly. Um, I imagine that it warns you well before the batteries die, so you can quickly replace the double A's. And uh, I should say it looks nice. I got it in a uh, uh, finish that matches the finish of the other hardware on my door. Mm-hmm. The inside is a little bit larger than the deadbolt was because it's got more hardware in it. So there's kind of like some space above it that's got the the kind of other uh, computery hardware of the deadbolt, but um, it, it you know, I think it looks nice and it's uh, um, and it was super easy to install. I know it probably won't be for everybody. Every door is different, um, and you may not be somebody. You may be somebody who always leaves your house via your garage or uh, or is in Europe and does not have this concept of a latch that opens without a, a key. But um, you know, for me, I was actually I think the perfect person for this because I have a non-locking latch, which is very frustrating, and a deadbolt. So all I had to do was swap out my deadbolt for this, and in about half an hour, I had some frustration at one point where it wasn't quite working right, and I actually just rebooted it. Yes, I rebooted my 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 lock, and then it worked fine. So uh, yeah, so maybe I was the perfect person for it. But as a as a skeptic of smart locks for a very long time. I, yeah, I, I like, I get it. I get why they exist now. You also had another addition to the smart home family <sighs> over the holiday season, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we had a massive dirt event, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you got a Roomba. Uh, yeah, I got a Roomba. I have been monitoring the prices on Roombas for like a year. Mm-hmm. Thinking, I'm not going to get this until there's a major price discount. And finally, in November, uh, there was a uh, the lowest price ever seen on these Roomba models, and I took the plunge. I got the I didn't get the expensive ones that map your home or anything like that, like the one you have. I got the 690, mm-hmm. which is a perfectly nice middle of the road robot that now lives in my house, and uh, and I've been using it, and it's been. It's been cleaning the floors in my house. And in the end, the truth, the proof is in the dust tray, right? The proof is in the dust tray. Yeah, that that old adage. (laughs) The first time you run it, you're like, okay, is this a stupid thing or is it actually picking things up? And it ran for an hour. And then I opened the tray and I thought, oh my God, it was Mm -hmm. full of dust and lint and hair. And I was like, Aha, the robot is doing its job and it continues to do its job. 
Uh, so that was that was a relief because you know is this a silly toy that is not particularly useful or is it actually going to work on our combination of some rugs and hardwood floors and a few carpets and uh, the answer is yes it actually does its job. So you know these things are they they don't eliminate all vacuuming in your home but it no. does the majority of it like you still need to go and do some little bits here and there but it reduces the amount that you need to manually do which is really great. Like yeah. I think it's really we we love ours. Uh, I will ask. I will wanted to know. Do you did you do you find the Roomba incredibly cute? I think it's adorable. Yes. I stuck a, an go. incomparable robot sticker on it. Perfect. Uh, just because it's our robot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's adorable. I have had many uh, wacky moments with the Roomba already. <laughs> like, um, and you probably had similar moments. So. Uh, every now and then, I uh, when I first started out, I I was not quite sure about like what areas of my house it was going to stumble on, and so I had a moment where I had sent it off and I had been doing other things, and then it I got the push notification that said that it is stuck. Yes, and and I had no idea where it was, and I and my house is not that big. Yep, and I found it did, under did my you get son's stuck on a ledge. Have you got stuck on a ledge yet? That's no, funny to we me don't... because there are no ledges in my home. <laughs> Yeah, this was uh he it got trapped in a um in my son's uh charger cables. Yes. Yep. And I was like, "All right, the charger cables, okay." And so mm-hmm. it's like I'm going to I'm going to either clean this up or I'm going to put the close the door so it can't go in there and we'll, we'll handle with that. But the best one is when it if it feels like it's getting away with something. So one time I came out into the kitchen and the robot dr- darted by me trailing a napkin. <laughs> Like it had hooked onto a napkin and the napkin was like its superhero cape trailing behind it. And I'm like, what are you doing, robot? What What is happening here? And another time I came into our bedroom and I found the robot in there right at the foot of the bed on the floor with a pair of shorts. And the little drawstring on the pair of shorts had wrapped around its little flippy uh, brush thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was kind of trapped with these with these shorts and and it couldn't go and it was spinning it was flipping the shorts around but it couldn't go anywhere and the best part was that standing on the edge of the bed looking down on the scene was my cat and i thought oh boy <laughs> like, again robot what what are you doing and obviously the cat was thinking what is wrong with this thing why is it doing this it was it's so several interesting interactions with the uh the the dog and the cat and the robot they don't hate it which is funny that's good um, they don't like it but they don't hate it and uh, they just sort of watch it as it bops around. And every now and then, like, my cat was sitting on uh, our couch and the Roomba, you know, barreled into one of the legs of the couch and the cat, like, got up and was like, what, 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 what what's happening? I'm like, it's just the robot. Uh, calm down. But uh, yeah, we're adapting to it. Yeah, like, so every time I talk about Roomba, I, I, I get this feedback and it's just fine. Like, that there are other companies that do this stuff and those other companies have different pricing. Sometimes they're cheaper. Sometimes they have more features. I went with the Roomba probably for the same reason that you went with the Roomba. They are the established brand. Yeah, like, yeah. When, I, I saw the wire cutter pick for yep. a different brand, and what they said was it's uh, harder to repair and replace parts, but it was cheaper. And I was like, meh. You know, I'm gonna I'll, I'll go with the Roomba. I've also, I mean, the, that is the truth of it is that I've had this dream of like one of these days I'm gonna get a Roomba for so mm-hmm. long now that it's very hard that to was, not that, get a Roomba. That was a big thing for me too. It's like I really yeah. want a Roomba one day, and like. It's, I don't, you know, it's funny really that, um, so in the UK, we call vacuum and hoovering, right? Yeah. Because Hoover, the brand, just became synonymous with the activity. And it's funny that Roomba is the same deal, right? The robot vacuum, everyone just calls them Roombas. 
And I just think that's kind of funny. Like, even if you don't have one, we just all collectively know what Roomba is. And that even if yeah. you do have the UFI RoboVac, I'm sure most people probably just call it a Roomba. Yeah, well, in the UK, there's very little uh, acknowledgement of trademark law, clearly. No, but that's the Kleenex situation. Yeah, it's, it's a Kleenex, Kleenex situation. It's yeah. exactly right. Exactly the same. So I will say, as much as I'm enjoying the Roomba, I am starting to rethink my wisdom in buying the one that does the random walk. I'm actually kind of fascinated by the random walk, fascinated by this algorithm as it, mm-hmm. uh, that it has where it bumps into something and it turns a seemingly random angle and then attempts to go forward again and the idea there is that there's actual math involved in this the idea there is by doing the random walk it will eventually cover everything um that said there is a part of me the control freak part of me that thinks uh you know it's probably it's probably missing things it's probably not getting everything um and i know that they make those other robots that do more kind of like home mapping and so that they try to be more uh, vigilant about it. I'm not entirely convinced that the home mapping isn't kind of a placebo to just make you feel better about the 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 robot and where it, where it's going. Uh, but I, I don't know. There there is that moment. I am delighted that it finds its way home most of the time. That's mm-hmm. also pretty great. That it's got this little charger with its presumably little infrared beacon on it that it it spots and goes aha. Now I can go home. And that's a yeah. It's been fun. And it and yes, by all accounts, by what's in that tray. It is doing its job, which is the most important thing. I have it set to go during the day, too, so I will suddenly hear sounds of a robot coming from the next room while I'm working. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, oh, don't worry about the fact that you feel like that there might be one that you want differently, because I do, too. Like, I got the, I think, the 960, which was, I think it was kind of like one of the top ones at the time, because it had, like, smart home stuff, right? So I can tell the Echo, like, we tell the Echo right. to go and do it. And it, it does room mapping in the sense that, like, again, as you say, like, it tries to understand where it's got to clean, and it shows you a map at the end to show you where it cleaned. But then the one feature that I wanted got, added to the brand new expensive ones where you can say like hey Roomba go clean the kitchen and it knows right. where the kitchen is and mm-hmm. goes and cleans the kitchen so I am pleased they added this because whenever we do upgrade our Roomba in the future right like that this will be a thing that will be even better by the time that we want to do it because we'll probably get like the second or third iteration that does the, the sure. uh, mapping stuff but like that is the one thing that I wished it could do that like if I dropped a bunch of rice in the kitchen I if I want the Roomba to clean it now I kind of have to do this thing where I stand in the Roomba's way until I've like like kind of like a matador you know have you used the the uh, targeted cleanup because that's something that we've actually used now which is you you pick up the Roomba and you carry it to in our case in front of the cat's litter box and then you press the little target button I have and not it makes even looked at this. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, you, you put it at a, at a place where you want it to clean and mm-hmm. you press the little target button on the top and it makes a spiral and it spirals out from that location and, and for That's a while. What that button is. Okay. And then it spirals back to the center and it's like a it's like a spot clean huh. where you can okay. you can make it clean an area so you could take it into the kitchen and press that button that's and it awesome. will do kind of adorable little spiral i don't and, know why i'm how i missed this but that's great because that honestly that solves a lot of the issues that i have but again it is way nicer you, to just be yeah. like hey computer go clean the bathroom sure. right like, yeah and they, they've got all all sorts of advances that are very clever they've got their new base that uh will like empty your dustbin. <laughs> yeah, that one I doesn't excite me so much because it's like yeah. well, you just have to empty it less because you still have to empty that thing, right? It's just like sure. less frequent. Emptying. It's just less less frequently. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Um, but it's it's fine. I'm in the robot world now. I have a robot. It yep. lives in my house. It's a it is 
a Syracusean robot. This has been established. John Syracusa has said the most basic of robots is the Roomba. So it counts. It's a robot. I have a robot in my house. I'm very excited. And the floors are cleaner. Do you know what episode of Robot or Not the Roomba is discussed? Uh, sure. Well, I have to look it up because we'll I don't know. Put it in the know. show notes in case people yes. want to it's check it out. It's episode eight. It's oh, episode wow. eight, Mike. That's that's really early on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can go check that out because yeah, that's like the def- isn't like Roomba one of the defining principles of Robot or Not? Like it's as simple as it can get. It, it, kind it's of thing. the simplest. It's the simplest one that we have yet discovered. Although the robotic pool cleaner that follows some similar rules to the Roomba is also, I think, in that category of mm. it's autonomous. Um, you don't you don't really tell it what to do. It just kind of like goes around and does its thing, and then and then returns home. It's like John thinks that's the the bare minimum definition of what a robot is. All right, it's time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions. But before we get to that, let me thank our th- final sponsor for this episode, which is ExpressVPN. If you spend any time on the internet these days, you are very aware of all of the security breaches and data lo- data issues that we're seeing from every single company that exists. So it's only natural in 2019 to worry about where your data's going and what it's being used for, especially when something as simple as sending an email on a like an untrusted network can put your information at risk. Chances are you're being tracked wherever you go online. Marketing companies, social media websites, your internet provider even, they keep in a history of your browsing, which can be sold on. Take back your privacy of ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. You can turn on ExpressVPN connection uh, protection with just one click. The easy-to-use apps run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, and your tablet, and it costs less than $7 a month. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. I was playing around with ExpressVPN today at home. I have a really good internet connection at home. Um, and uh, typically I can get like three, 400 up and down. And I was astounded by how fast ExpressVPN is uh, compared to other providers. Like it's never exactly the speed that you're going to get without a VPN set, right? For good reason, because there's stuff going on. But it was getting me like two thirds of my usual speed and other providers that I've used are lucky to get like a fifth. Like ExpressVPN is super quick and it keeps your data super safe. Protect your online activity today by going to expressvpn.com slash upgrade. If you don't want your online history in the hands of your internet provider or data resellers, ExpressVPN is the answer. By going to expressvpn.com slash upgrade, you can get three months for free with a one-year package. Once again, that is expressvpn.com slash upgrade for three months extra free with a one-year package. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Mr. Jason Snell, should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions? I think we should. Kapila wants to know, do you think Apple will make an Android app for their video content? I'm going to say... I feel like nothing's off the table, right? No, like, yeah, you, I, think, I, I think nothing's off the table. I'm going to say probably not their priority mm-hmm. um, because... I think Apple's priority is getting it on TV sets and viewable on their devices. I, I think that may be where they have drawn the line. It's possibly it's possible that that's not true. It's possible that they will do it everywhere, um, and they'll make apps for everything. Uh, I, I wouldn't put a, you know, I think it's I think it's almost a coin flip. 
but my gut feeling would be that their their priority is TVs, and so they're going to start there. But um, but yeah, would not shock me if they did it. Yeah, I I agree with you, right? They want to be on the large screen platforms ideally first, right? Um, to make sure that they have that presence locked down, so televisions and stuff like that. But maybe you know, maybe they would do it because. But see, the thing is, there aren't a lot of Android tablets, right? Like, tablets would make the most sense to me over phones. Um, You know, of course, it's great to have it on phones, but they just aren't... They own the tablet market. So I could see it getting left off, but it would surprise me in the long term if they didn't have an app because they have people building Apple Music for Android. So you've got to Mm -hmm. assume it's it's similar in some instances right like so there could be some overlap there so you know i also wouldn't be surprised if they just bundled music and tv up into one android app right like and that's just uh keeps it a bit simpler for them who knows similar vein chris wants to know do you ever imagine apple bringing iMessage to other platforms even if they ask for people to pay for it yeah that's that was going to be my um, answer here, which is I can't imagine Apple bringing iMessage for free to other platforms. I do wonder sometimes if part of Apple's Prime whatever that they might do, a subscription service, might include access to iMessage on other platforms. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's it's a weird one. I think there are lots of reasons for Apple not to do it. It is, a, it is one of those cases where... Um, it really does help their ecosystem and their lock-in to have it without it being particularly detrimental to the rest of their business. So it's not a bad thing to have. But if they do move it to other platforms, they would need to have a real motivator for that and maybe people giving them money and having it be, you know, extending the footprint of Apple for their existing customers who happen to have, you know, they're not all on Apple's platforms, you know, making it an argument for that, I could see. But I wouldn't, I, I feel like the default is very easy, which is just to not do it. They would need a really compelling reason to do it. Yeah, I think that that is like a break glass in case of emergency. We need more services revenue type move uh, because it really, I think iMessage is a, is a really good platform incentive for Apple. And I think personally, I mean, this is just based on my own gut feeling of this. I think iMessage is more likely to get somebody to buy an iPhone than they would necessarily be to be like, oh, I'm Android and I want iMessage. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it is actually a selling point of Apple's devices uh, and would be more beneficial to them in the long term that way than it would be to get some small hike in services revenue. You know, like the actual difference it could make in the long term. Um, I think the the Blue Bubble Friends is a is an actual real thing. Mm-hmm. It's very memeable. In the same way that AirPods are memeable, you know, there's this meme over the holiday season of like having uh, AirPods and a no home button was like that was what you wanted, right? Because if you didn't, ha- if you had a cable or a home button, then you weren't with the times. Like that, you know, there's things that that means something, especially to young people. Austin asks, do you think the 2018 9.7 inch iPad will be the last newly introduced iOS device with a home button? Huh. Interesting. Interesting. This is a tricky one, right? Because there's rumors of the iPad mini again. And I think if they do another iPad mini, it's not actually going to change form factor at all. Yeah, I, I'm i going to say no, because I think it's going to be a little while. The only question would be if they just keep the 2018 iPad around for a long time and never update it. But I feel like there's more... 
it just seems a lot less likely that those lower cost iPads are going to get Face ID, right? Like it just seems much less likely to me. Yeah. Yeah, at least for, for a but while. The, the, open, right? the open question is: is again, yeah, would they would they just not update it for three years and then replace it with a Face ID model later? And the same would go for something like on the iPhones. Like, are all the new iPhones going to be this? Well, probably. But what if there's an SE revival and would that have a home button um, because it would be cheaper? I don't know. I don't know. That's 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 why this is a hard question is Apple may just kind of like keep selling these old models for a long time, but all the new models would not. Um, but uh, I don't know. I would I would go on the side of there'll probably be something that's updated that still has a home button um, because it's ch- it's just cheaper to do that right now. Gareth asks, gaming has never been Apple's focus, but with the growing use for GPU acceleration in professional and research applications, will we ever see a Mac with a powerful, a powerful enthusiast or professional grade GPU built right in something like, you know, the NVIDIA GTX or RTX lines? So I'm thinking about this because I have like thoughts from both sides of this, right? It's like professional and gaming. So I'm probably, I mean, I'm happy, I'm confident in believing that this is going to be a part of the Mac Pro, right? Like that there will either be more powerful options or the ability to use kind of more powerful cards that you can just buy, right? Like th- there will be cards on the market that are used in other machines that you could put in the new Mac Pro if it is as modular as we would hope it to be. But for gaming... Right. If you then want to use it for gaming, it still requires developers to enable their kind of high profile AAA games to run on Mac OS. And if these games require the high powered GPUs and the Mac Pro is the only option for that, it doesn't feel any more likely to happen for gaming mm-hmm. specifically. Um, I could imagine Apple allowing for more powerful GPUs to be added to their machines in general for creative professional focuses. But I honestly, like, I think if the Mac Pro remains the only one that can can get with, like, the times on this stuff, the scope of it is going to continue to be pretty limited, I think. Because I don't yep. imagine the iMac getting the most up-to-date, powerful NVIDIA cards. Like, it just doesn't seem like a thing that's going to be... Because you can't swap them in, right? So, like, what are you going to do? Buy a new machine every time you want to have a more powerful card? Yeah, my my feeling here is that Apple uh, will care about this for the Mac Pro maybe somewhat and that for everybody else, it's going to just do what it has been doing and say, if you want more, get an eGPU and then just walk away. That just seems like that's Apple's approach at this point. Because really what Apple should be building with the Mac Pro is a machine that is intended for somebody to buy and keep for a long time, right? Like I think yeah. that that's, that's the, the, the intention for this machine. That's who it should be for. And also for their perspective is like, this is the last Mac Pro they ever make, right? And they keep it around for 10 years or whatever, right? And the enclosure at least, and like, the, like how they've been in the past, right? And the, the reason they can do this is because you could just up, update the parts on your own is it a little wish casting for me because this is what i want them to make uh for my own purposes but i would be i would be i think along with a lot of people who follow this stuff really surprised if that wasn't what they made right like if they they didn't make something that could be user upgradable with a lot of different parts that are kind of a little bit more readily accessible on the market i'd be a big surprise i think because otherwise what are they building here right and finally today, Jonathan asks, I'm looking for a Mac that I can store my entire library on, some photo and video editing work maybe, and basically be used as a server for Plex. What do you guys recommend? I mean, there is one machine, right? 
Yeah, it's it's the Mac Mini. That's yeah. that's the answer. The you know you could get you could get an iMac, but really, um, yeah, the Mac Mini is made for this. This is this is what it's for. Yes, yeah, especially for the Plex stuff, right? Yeah. Because you can have it running without there needing to be a monitor on and stuff like that. Right, right. And you can over-configure the Mac Mini. That's the other thing. Um, I had a back and forth with somebody, it might have been Jonathan, about this, that you know, you can over-configure it. I think that uh, the internal storage is very, very expensive, and external SSDs are readily available and small and quiet. So you can uh, add to your storage that way, and if you need enormous amounts of storage, you can also throw a you know a big disk or a big array on, uh, and do it that way. So there's lots of different options there. So uh, I think even the even the base would be powerful, but if you upgraded a little bit and a little more RAM and use the i5 processor and all that, yep. like uh, photo and video editing, you know, yeah, I mean it's a very capable system for all that stuff. So I think that might be the way to go. And if you want to know more about the Mac Mini, uh, episode 465 of Mac Power Users. Um, the all about that. The second episode with Stephen is all about the my Mac Mini. I'm working through it now because I want to put my Mac Mini to more work. Uh, I do love it, though. I love my little Mac Mini just sitting there being all professional in its space gray. It feels so professional just sitting there doing its thing all the time, being ready to be used as an app on my, <laughs> on my iPad <laughs> at a moment's notice. But I do love my Mac Mini, Jason. It's a great mm-hmm. little machine. Great little machine. You do. If you want to find uh, show notes for this week's episode, relays.fm slash upgrade slash 228 is the place on the web to go, but it should be in your podcast app of choice. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer at the end of the show, hashtag askupgrade. Um, please continue sending those in. Love working through those every week and hope that uh, we continue to provide entertainment and information for you on a weekly basis. Um, if you want to find Jason online, sixcolors.com is the place to go for his writing uh, about Apple and other related technology. But both me and Jason hosts host many shows over here at Relay FM, relay.fm slash shows, where you can find this and many more. I'm sure there'll be something else to tickle your fancy. And if you're looking for some pop culture in your life, go to theincomparable.com where you can find uh, more of Jason's work and, and of many other wonderful creative people who make shows over on The Incomparable. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, PDF Pen from Smile, ExpressVPN, and Luna Display. Uh, we are both on Twitter and Instagram. Jason is JasonL, J-S-N-E-L-L. I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye. Thank you.